Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Well, I've got a word that God has put on my heart, and I I hope that you're ready uh, to hear from God and and just have your heart be open, have your mind be open. This is kind of a little bit of a series that that I want to begin. Um, It's right in line with where we've been preaching the past few months, but um, this is a story that we're going to take a deep dive into over the next few weeks and see what the Holy Spirit will speak to us. I want to speak to you... um, from the subject compromised, compromise with culture, compromise with culture. And uh, what I'm speaking about is the relationship of the church with the world. I've been speaking about how we are called to the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of earth. That we are supposed to be led by the spirit, not led by the flesh. How we are called to follow Christ and not culture. And today I want to delve in a little bit deeper into this subject, and this is sort of where I feel that we are as a people, as a church, as a nation, even really the season that our world is in right now. I've been thinking about this story uh, for the last three or four weeks, talk, um, sorry, three or four months actually, speaking to those that are close to me, um, about just what I've been sensing prophetically. I, I am a local church pastor. I pastor this church awakening. I love the church. I love the people of the church. I understand that we are imperfect people, but we come together and we're being perfected by God. And so I, I, I speak with no condemnation at all, but today I want to come to challenge you, and I'm, I'm being challenged myself by what I believe is the Spirit of God to be prepared for this next season. And we, we have been in a season of shaking, but I believe the shaking is going to grow more intense over the next few uh, months. I, I believe that God, though, is in the shaking, that our feet can be planted, standing firm on the word of God, on faith, unshakable, not because of ourselves or our thinking or our intellect, but by the spirit of God, that he can lead us in this time. And I believe that he can even give us keys to, to have faith, how to have faith in this time. And, and one of the stories that he's been speaking to me about the season that we're in. It's a story, but I believe it's representative of the season that we're in. And there's many places in Scripture where there will be these story parallels and patterns throughout Scripture where God is showing us what happened before will happen again. This is how you're to react. This is how you're able to see it. Have discernment to see the signs and seasons of the time. And the story I want to speak to you about is Ahab, Jezebel, and Elijah. Ahab, Jezebel, and Elijah. It's out of the book of 1 Kings. And I would encourage you, go read the story a couple times over. It starts in chapter 16. Read it a couple times over and get it in your spirit over the next few weeks. And ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Ask him to speak to you. I believe God will give you visions, dreams, and even revelation. Where he'll speak a word into your heart uh, that will help you stand firm in these times ahead. So this is kind of what I have been feeling. And what I believe that God has released me to speak to you uh, for, for this time and this season. I am speaking to Christians. That's my audience. If you follow Jesus, this is for you. If you don't follow Jesus, I want you to pay attention because I believe this will resonate deep in your heart. And at the end of this service, we'll have a moment where you can uh, begin to become a Jesus follower and give your life to him. But I want to speak to Christians at this critical hour. I believe right now, church, we have a choice. Right now, we have a choice to make. Who will we be 
in our relation with culture? Who will we be in our relationship with culture? I believe that right now we are going through a period where the spirit of Jezebel is rising and we will have a choice whether we will be like Ahab the king or Elijah the prophet. I want to speak to you about what that means here. Let's start in 1 Kings. Speaking about Ahab, the Bible calls him a wicked king, more wicked than any of the kings that had come before them. See, compromise starts small, but very quickly your compromise can become generational. And every king pushed evil further, and they became more and more wicked each passing, um, each passing uh, kingship. In their lineage, they became more and more wicked because compromise will never confront itself. It will never challenge itself. It will never one day just turn around. It must be confronted by the spirit of the living God. And so you must be careful with what your relationship is with small compromises in your life because they not only compound in your life, they'll compound in your lineage. So here's Ahab in a list of many wicked kings. And the Bible says now he's evil as well. But it goes on and it says in 1 Kings 16, 31, and as if it had not been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who was his father, because see, the father produces the son. And, and how the father walks is how the son will walk. And if the father leaves the son to find his own way, he abdicates his position of authority over this child. If this father leads this child astray, he, he, he operates in, a, in an authority that should be used for good. But if he leaves this child on his own or moves this child into the way of the world, he uses what God gave to him for good for evil. And that's what Jeroboam did. Jeroboam had the anointing and the authority and the appointing to raise up a young man of God. Instead, because he sinned, now his son sins. Because he was distant from God, now his son is distant from God. And God says, but not only that, this is where he went even further. Ahab took for his wife Jezebel. If you've been around church for any, for any length of time, you know that word Jezebel. It's like a church curse word. Jezebel. It's like that scary word where all the YouTube prophets speak about Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel. But you know, Jezebel isn't just, it's not just a spirit that can come on a manipulative woman. That, that is a small thing, a small way to think about it. Jezebel can rise up in men or women, and Jezebel is a spirit that not only can rise up in a person, it can rise up in a nation. So here's the spirit of Jezebel on this woman. She is the daughter of Ethbal. See that spelling? B-A-A-L. Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. And he um, and went and served Baal. There's that spelling again of that demon idol and worshiped him. Hold on. Jezebel is married to Ahab. Ahab is the king of Israel, but Jezebel decides I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to worship the king, the, the, the God of my, my husband who's king. I'm going to worship the God of my father who's king, and that God is Baal. She's the princess of Israel, yet she's bringing in a foreign uh, God and a foreign spirit and a foreign idol into God's chosen people, into his holy land, into the place that God has set apart for himself. Here comes another culture and another kingdom and another spirit and begins to try and pull the authority and the leadership of the the land of Israel, not towards Jehovah, but away from Jehovah, not towards the, 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 the set apart path that God has for him, the calling and anointing on his life, but she begins to pull 
her husband Ahab into this false ideology of her father's. See, hear me. Everyone's going to have a choice who they are going to follow, their earthly father or their heavenly father. And, and here Jezebel has made this decision. She's going to follow her earthly fa- father who worshipped Baal. His name, Ethbal, means toward the idol. In other words, his entire life was oriented around worshipping Baal. He was passionate, and that devotion gotten his daughter. It's interesting, the sermon seemingly is beginning to form around the concept of lineage. Your worship is passed down in your lineage. Hear me, Christian. Your children see how you speak. They hear how you pray. They watch how you show up at church. And their serving will be doubled in their life. And your, and your, your honor and your approach will be doubled in their life. Or that can be used against you and against them. Understand that idolatry was absolutely excommunicated by God. He said, I don't want you to make any idols. I don't want them to look like anything in the sky or the land or under the sea. I do not want any other images made. Why? Because God said, I already made my image. I put it on you. You bear my image. You bear my likeness. You are all that needs to be as a reflection of me. So he's saying, do not make an idol of a donkey or a dolphin and bow down to this. It is so much less than who you are called to be. Make no mistake, Christian, human, make no mistake, God has fearfully and wonderfully made you. That's why Satan hates you. That's why he wants to attack you. That's why he wants you to think negative of yourself. That's why he wants you to demonize your appearance or your, your, your lineage or what you look like or what you came from. It's because you look like God and you represent God and he has his image and his likeness on you. You are the moon that reflects the sun and God wants to show his glory through you. Yes, not just your looks, but your actions, through your words, through your spirit, spirit through your vibe you can show the world what god looks and sounds and breathes like make no mistake god has already made his image and his likeness and he said don't even try to build another image and likeness and god goes even further he says not only do i not want you to make your own idols i don't want you to even intermarry with cultures that worship false idols other gods This is right when the people of Israel are on the precipice of going into the promised land. God says, hold on. Before you go into the fullness for all that I have for you, I need for you to understand that you are not to go and look like the world around you. I'm going to have you become conquerors, but you better not bring that culture into this culture. What was God saying? Was Was he angry about the other nations? He didn't want them to marry because where they came from? No, no, no. He was saying it's not about where they came from. It's about who they worship. And if you marry them, who they worship will become who you worship. And then all of this, the coming out of Egypt, the salvation through the wilderness, the coming into the promised land will be for nothing if you just exchange one God from your old Egyptian gods. What Jesus is saying is, I am the Lord thy God, and you will have no other God before me. So he's even saying, so don't intermingle. Don't covenant. Don't uh, come alongside culture. By the way, this is resonating in our lives as Christians. This is what he says where he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He's saying, don't marry those that don't believe in God. Why? Because what fellowship can light have with darkness? When you become a Christian, you become a royal priesthood, God's holy nation set apart. And he's saying, therefore, you cannot dwell in covenant with those who hate me. You might say, well, no, they don't hate God. 
They just don't worship him. They don't hate God. They just don't obey any of his commands. They don't hate God. Come on, he doesn't hate God. He just absolutely is 100% apathetic about God. He could care less about God. He, he throws down God's commands as if they're nothing. He doesn't hate God, though. You know, and, and, you know, and so I'm sure he's going to turn out to be a very moral, upstanding character that I want my children to look like, even though he absolutely could care less about all of God's word, you know. You see, you've got to understand, God's serious about your life. He's serious about his church. And he's saying, I do not want you becoming covenant with those that worship anything else other than me. Why? Because what the blessings and the cursings flow from what you worship. And so he's saying, if they worship some idol, what will flow on your home and on your children and on your life is only the curse. If they worship the idol of money, they worship the idol of power and influence, if they worship these strange ideologies, it will only bring cursing on you. And God says, I love you. In fact, I love you so much I died for you so that I could resurrect you and spend eternity with you. So make sure who you're coupled with loves me too. He, he, he's, he's making a differentiation. In Deuteronomy 7, this is God's command. He says, you shall not intermarry with them, the Hittites and, and the Persians and the Babylonians and the Philistines, giving away your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me. There's God's prophecy. God says, I know what's going to go down. They'll turn you away from me. It's not worth it. And instead, they'll turn you to serve their gods. All that I've done for you, parting the Red Sea, bringing you into promises. If your covenant becomes one with culture, you're going to end up serving false gods. And you say, that would never happen with me. I'm too wise. I'm too smart. What about Solomon? The wisest man in all the world became the richest man in all the world because of his wisdom. But the Bible says, but at the end of his life, he began to worship idols. Why? Because his wives that he had from other cultures began to pull him away from the God that all the wisdom and all the riches, and all the blessings, and all the prosperity, because God understands something about us. We are easily influenced. We think we're strong. We think we got all these convictions. Now, if you're not walking by the Spirit, you will be led astray quickly. It's amazing to me how many times I see people backslide after missing church for three weeks. It was only three weeks. It's like, that's it, three Sundays? Then we got to be honest, we are easily influenced. All it takes is three Sundays for the enemy to come in with a bunch of division and gossip and hurt and weirdness because you didn't get under the washing of the presence. I haven't even started preaching yet, but I want you to know, church, you have to understand that we are called to be the bride of Christ. That's our marriage. And he's coming back for a wonderful bride. He's coming back for a set-apart bride. Therefore, you and I cannot be married to culture. And that's what, that's what God is saying to his people right away. He's saying, if you marry these other cultures, you will create a covenant with an anti-God culture. But Ahab didn't care. Ahab said, no, I care more about my future. I care more about the influence I can have. I care more about peace with Sidon, so I'm going to bring Jezebel into my home. And, and Jezebel represents in the Bible a spirit of rebellion. It's actually an anti-Christ spirit. Jezebel is anti-God, 
anti-church, anti-God's commands. It's a spirit of rebellion. But Ahab is a picture of abdication. Ahab has a spirit of compromise on him. I want you to know those two spirits go together. Because the rebellion of Jezebel cannot rise unless the one who's appointed and anointed king lets her do so. Let's that spirit of rebellion take over. Unless the one who's appointed as king in the home has nothing to say, has nowhere to lead, has no opinions, has no convictions, the spirit of rebellion cannot rise in the nation unless the one who are appointed king, the church, allows it to. You might say, well, I'm anointed. Well, I'm appointed. Well, I'm chosen. Well, I'm set apart. I've got a crown. So did Ahab. Big deal. It doesn't matter that you're anointed and appointed if you do not walk in the way of God. Stand on your convictions. Hold fast to the word of God. All your anointing and all your appointing can be taken from you by a spirit of rebellion if you don't say, no, I'm going to lead. I'm going to lead myself. I'm not going to let that spirit come up in me. I'm not going to let it come up in my home. Hear me, as a pastor, I'm not going to let it come up in the church. And we as a church should not let it come up in a nation. In the world, there are times where this spirit tries to rise up against Jesus and against his word and against his church. And Ahab has the anointing and the appointing. He must say something. He must do something. He must call it out when he sees it rise up. Jezebel begins to show up in positions of authority in Israel. And and right away she brings her, her idols with her, her temples and she brings all of her false prophets with her. And they live. They live right, right in the palace. And she provides for them. And she nourishes them. She feeds them. All the prophets of Baal. What is she doing? What is she doing? She's creating a counterfeit religion. In the middle of Israel. She's creating a counterfeit worship. In the middle of Israel. She's got her own prophets. She's got her own law. She's got her own words, her own prayer, her own way of doing things right in the middle of God's chosen people. And she's using her influence to pull God's people towards the prophets of Baal. And what does Ahab do? Nothing. He stays silent. He lets it happen. He knows it's wrong. He knows the law of God. He knows whose people Israel is, but he stays silent. What else do we see Jezebel do? We see her rise up. And it's not good enough for her to just have her own prophets. No, no, now she's going to take the next step and silence the prophets of Israel. She murders and hunts down and persecutes the prophets of Israel. So much so they're running for their lives. And someone who works in the palace has to take them and hide them for years in a cave. And they're they're in darkness and they're in fear for their life because the spirit of Jezebel is unchecked. And it's coming after God's people to shut them down, to make them be quiet, to put them in darkness, to shut them up. And all along, Ahab had nothing to say. He allowed this counterfeit religion to overtake the prophets that God set apart in God's people. And and, and more than that, and you would say, what's wrong with this guy? Why doesn't he lead? Well, you know why? Because he benefited. He wanted Jezebel's infatuation. He wanted her love. In fact, there was one time when Jezebel saw that that Ahab was sad. 
he, he had talked to a man named Naboth, and he wanted Naboth's vineyard, and Naboth wouldn't give it to him. He said, this is the inheritance of my father. Incredible. That's lineage. He knew who he was, and he knew what he had, and he says, you're not going to get this. This is who I am. This is what I've got. And so Ahab was angry. So he, 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 he showed it, and Jezebel saw it, and she said, don't worry about it. I'm going to go manipulate circumstances. So she wrote a letter in the king's seal using the authority he refused to use. She brings it uh, through the officials and has Naboth murdered and has has the vineyard taken from him and given to her husband as a present. So he's silent about the murdering of God's people. He's silent about the shutting down of the prophets. Why? Because he he had something to gain from it. He benefited from it. He got a little something on the side from it. He had too much to lose to shut it down, to stop it in its tracks, to condemn it, or to say it's wrong. Ahab's got no opinion. He's got no leadership. He's got no desire to lead. He's apathetic towards God. And that is how the spirit of Jezebel rises up. But I want you to understand, church, I believe that's what's happening right now. It's happened many times since that moment. It's happened in World War II. That spirit rose up and got on the whole earth. A anti-God anti-human, anti-Christ spirit rose up, and it's rising up again right now. It's rising up on the earth, and, and you've got to have discernment as a Christian to understand this is what's happening. This is the agitation you're feeling in the atmosphere. This is the, this is the, the lies and the persecution and, and the anger and the chaos you're feeling. You're feeling something in the supernatural. It's having natural ramifications. In fact, the whole world is like shaking these hurricanes and, and these fires and, and the, the heat and, and, and our, our city streets, the whole world is shaking. But you got to understand, it's not natural. It's supernatural. This is just the consequences. There is a spirit that has been let loose on the earth. And right now, it is trying to go after the people of God. Certainly the nations of God, but... I believe the people of God. And if you have discernment, maybe I'm putting words to some of the things you've been feeling. If you don't have discernment, you need to pray for the Holy Spirit right now. Say, Holy Spirit, show me what's happening. We need discernment right now to figure out what's going on and what we're feeling and what the enemy's trying to do in his schemes because we will not not be foolish and unaware of the schemes of the enemy. No, right now, Jezebel is rising in the earth, and the church has a choice. Will we abdicate our position of spiritual authority, or will we take our rightful place and lead? Speak. Declare. Jesus says, whatever you bind in heaven, it's bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth gets loosed on earth. But you're going to have to pray some very bold prayers. You're going to have to come into the throne room. You're going to have to know the presence of God. And you're going to have to begin to pray. Think of it. What's the first thing that Jezebel introduces when she shows up in the palace? A counterfeit worship. Bringing the prophets of Baal with her. Why? Because the the true religion 
that takes care of the widows and the orphans, the true religion that knows how to pray, the true religion that knows how to bind evil spirits off of people, the true religion that has worship that purifies. It's just too powerful. It's anointed. Church is the thing that keeps the whole world together. We're seeing that now. And so what, when the spirit of Jezebel rises up, the first thing she has to do is, inter, is, in, is interfere and introduce a counterfeit religion. A, a, a false gospel with false doctrines. And right now, we're seeing that all over the world. We're seeing that in the nation. We're seeing it in the church. False doctrines. Watered-down words. One half of a paraphrased sentence in 45 minutes of preaching. Who's that going to set free? It's the Word of God. That leads people to repentance. We need your word. We have counterfeit worship, but the church has embraced critical theory and identitarianism. And pastors are preaching off of Twitter trending instead of what the Holy Spirit is speaking. And you say, Jordan, you sound angry. I am angry. I'm angry to see another gospel. Absolutely introduced and accepted by the mainstream church so quickly, without question, and disseminated through sermons on YouTube and, and podcasts without a second thought where we introduced a different gospel and a different doctrine. It's almost as if Paul is preaching from Galatians 1 and he's saying, if anyone else preaches a different gospel, either me or an angel from heaven. Let him be cursed. Have we forgotten that verse? So quickly we have turned from Jesus being our Savior. So quickly we have turned from the cross being our connection to God. And we're back to law. We're back to more rules and doing better and being better and trying harder. And, and all, of our, all of our power is gone gone and we've got weak words and we're like what is going on well we're not gathering and we're not worshiping and we're not preaching the gospel and we can't figure out why it's not anointed i can tell you why it's not anointed because you're not speaking in line with the holy spirit it's the spirit of jezebel and don't don't forget jezebel was a master manipulator she was like a trojan horse she she came from within think about it She's in the house. She's in Israel. She's in the palace. She's in authority. She's got influence. You know how many people follow Jezebel on Instagram? You know how many people like her Insta posts? You know how many people listen to her podcasts? You know how much authority Jezebel's got? And she's got to be anointed, right? She's married to the king. Hello? church we cannot give over the only thing that has conquered for 2,000 years we cannot give it over to a new wave and new wind of doctrine just because people are emailing it out posting it online just because it's the brand new thing, hear me, we've got to continue to come to the cross for our freedom, for our change, for our revelation, for our hope, for our liberty. It is only through the cross because people are trying to 
speak over you lies and fear and anxiety. And they're speaking with the megaphone of media. And they're shouting who you should be and what you should wear and what you should do and what you should be afraid of and what you should believe. And they're shouting. And it's like we are under an assault because we are. And the enemy is shooting arrows, flaming arrows of lies against your family, against your identity, and certainly against your faith. We've got to stand up. Listen, your identity is not your skin tone. It's not your level of oppression. It's not even your past experiences. It is not. For the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, for all of you who have clothed yourselves with Christ, for all of you who have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free, nor is there even male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what Jezebel doesn't want you to hear, because unity comes from that verse. Your identity comes from that verse. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and if you have been baptized, when you came out of that water, you have now put on Jesus Christ. Your mind, your heart, your emotions, your identity, your eternity is clothed with Jesus Christ. Therefore, any other identifying marker is beneath that first realm of your identity. It is no longer I who lives. I don't even live anymore. It's Christ who now lives. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I will never forget the sacrifice he did in order to give me his identity. You are clothed in Jesus Christ, which means you are more than a conqueror. You are set apart. You are a royal priest. You are chosen by God. He first loved you when you were unlovable. He forgave you when you seemed unforgivable. He cleansed you when you were dirty. He clothed you when you were naked. He loves you. He accepts you, he challenges you, he convicts you, he forgives you, and he has blessed you. And I'm here to tell you, you are now an heir, a co-heir with Christ. You are a child of God. You are a ruler and you will reign with Christ. And you are unstoppable because of Jesus Christ. More than a conqueror means no matter what, if Jesus has got your back, you are going to be unstoppable. And do things need to change? Certainly. And we're going to work to change them. And we're going to do our best. But I want you to know, there is no salvation that comes from any systems or government. The only salvation can come is from Jesus. And there will be a time where the government will be on his shoulders. And that's when we'll be set free. You must understand, church, that change is not created in chaos. We've got to come to the cross. We've got to come to the cross. And I think it's scary right now to see that the church has so quickly lost its way. We may be following people that have lost their way. Their emotions have taken over. Their strength has failed them. Their faith has collapsed. We don't, we don't mock them. We're not angry at them. But right now, we got to go and be led by the word of God, not even by our own emotions, our own past, our own ideas. Jesus and Jesus alone. 
The Bible says, woe to you who call evil good and good evil. We're coming to a time where that has absolutely happened in our culture. Things are flipped upside down. And right now, for us to be relevant would make us heretical. Because we cannot be on the same page as those that call evil good and good evil. Hear me, Christian. It's time to take a stand for your convictions. The second thing we see Jezebel do is she begins to persecute. She creates her own false counterfeit. The enemy always creates the counterfeit. That's what's going to happen in the end times. He always creates the counterfeit. Go read the book of Daniel chapter 3. Go read the book of Revelation. You'll see the counterfeit. But the enemy creates a counterfeit, and then he begins to persecute the real. And I believe it's now right time for the church. It must speak up. It must pray out. It cannot be silenced because I believe there is a storm brewing, and it's coming. And even what we have seen is not yet done. It's going to continue to hit. And I'm speaking to the church right now. Church, even if we face times of persecution, we thank God that for hundreds of years America hasn't faced persecution. But even if we face times of persecution, we will not be silenced and we will not step down. I'm not saying we are facing it now, but I would not be surprised if it comes and it comes quickly like a wave. But make no mistake, we make our stand right now. We will not bow. Like the three Hebrew children, even if God doesn't deliver us, still we will not bow, knowing that it is better to be consumed in that fire than to live our life bowing to a false idol. We will not bow. We are going to be prepared. We are going to be loud. We are going to be faithful. We are going to be hungry. And we are going to come to the word of God. We will not be educated by the experts of man. We will come to the spirit of God. We'll be unafraid. Persecution hits the church. There's three things I think that you need to, to do. And I would say start right now. First and foremost, you need to prepare spiritually for the coming season. Prepare. Elijah's about to show up. Man, this is going to be a long sermon tonight, so buckle in. Right now, if you need to go uh, do the dishes or something, just put it off. Because I'm telling you, i got more to say. You need to prepare spiritually. You need to get your life right. First and foremost, you need to get your life right. If you feel conviction of the Holy Spirit any place in your life, do not put it off to next week or next month. Repent, tell some people, and put a system in place for you to be accountable. You have to prepare for your life to be right. Because I'm telling you, what's coming will be a wave that will want to take you out to sea. It will want to drown your faith. It will want to bury your health. And you must be strong and stable with deep roots in the word of God, in the church of Christ. Be prepared and you need to get in a crew. You need to sign up online if it's physical. If it's online, you are going to need people around you to speak encouragement to you, to help you, to pray with you, and, 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 and even to help you understand what you're going to see coming around you right now in the world, prepare spiritually. Church, prepare physically. Listen, what's coming might be rough. Get food and water. You're not a crazy prepper. Come on, the preppers turned out to be geniuses. We're looking at the preppers like these guys knew something. Prophets, get some food, get some water. Make sure you can go three, four weeks, two, three months, and maybe even get extra for your friends or your family. You say, Jordan, what do you know? I don't know, but I can tell what everyone else can tell. And it seems like no matter who gets elected, there's going to be some trouble. So let's be prepared to be a blessing in the times of trouble. Prepare, church. And lastly, prepare. You and I, we need to prepare as a community that we are going to stand on our convictions. 
And this is one of our convictions, that church is essential. And if Home Depot can open, the house of God can open. And if you can go to Walmart, you can come to church. You can come to church. If you can go to the grocery store so you can nourish yourself physically, you can come to church and nourish yourself spiritually because your body's going to disappear. It's going to die, but your spirit is eternal. Say, now Jordan's judging me. I'm not judging you. I just want you to know, for some reason, every single thing can be open and every plane can be packed, but the church still has to stay shut. I wonder if there's a spirit that wants to stop our worship, wants to stop our prayer, wants to stop the word, wants to keep you watching online while you're doing a million other things because a distracted people become an apathetic people. We are not going to be distracted. We are not going to be torn apart. We're not going to be blown around by one wind of doctrine, listen to 20 different voices, 90 different preachers. We're going to lock into the word of God. We're going to be a church. We are going to work. We're going to bring reformation. We are going to serve. We're going to show up. We're going to speak up, and we will be used by Jesus Christ. Can you say amen, church? Amen. I've preached for a while, and I have a lot more to go. I'm wondering if I should cut this sermon into two. But I've got many more things to say on this subject. So I'd ask for you to give me 10 more minutes and lock in. Because there's another side to this story. It's not all bad. There's Ahab. There's Jezebel. The abdicator and the rebellious one. But now enters Elijah. The prophet. The man of God. And Elijah is a picture of confrontation and conflict. He is unafraid to confront anything that stands up against the people of God. Elijah shows up and he confronts Ahab. Listen, there are different anointings. There are different giftings. There are different gifts for different seasons. Some people have gifting uh, 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 spirits on them and, 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 and they've got peace and they've got, they've got worship stuff. But in some seasons, like in seasons of war, there comes a time for the Elijah spirit to rise up. It's here and the Bible promises in the end time, Elijah will rise again and confront the Antichrist. Why? Because when evil begins to arise, we need the spirit of Elijah to stand up and call it out for what it is, an Antichrist thing coming against the church. Here's Elijah, and he confronts Ahab. And Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead, says to Ahab, as the Lord of God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. It's a supernatural statement that's going to have physical ramifications. And he's saying, seeing that you've abandoned the worship of God, there's going to be a drought physically on Israel. The physical drought on Israel was just a representation of the spiritual drought in Israel. And he's saying, you're going to see what it feels like. There's going to be an actual representation when there's no more worship. There's no more conduit for blessing. There's no more flowing of anointing. So he shuts up the heavens with just one word. This is a mighty spirit that will rise up in people. Sometimes it will rise up in people. They don't even know what spirit's coming on them. But it stands and says no further. In World War II, there were two men, leaders in the British Commonwealth, Neville Chamberlain and Winston Churchill. And as the German threat, the Nazi Third Reich, began to rise, Churchill saw that this young man, Adolf Hitler was an extreme threat to all of humanity. And so for 10 years, 
Churchill began to call out the Nazi threat for 10 years. He wrote speeches, got on radio, and wrote articles, and no one listened to him. Everyone ignored him. They called him a fear monger. They called him a condemner. They said that he just wanted war. And that whole time, Chamberlain just appeased, tried to keep Germany happy so that that Third Reich wouldn't rise up and begin to conquer all around it. And yet it did rise up, and it began to invade city after city, nation after nation, all of around it. And, and it's, it showed how quickly Chamberlain's doctrine of appeasement, it just fell apart to the point where, where all of the things Germany said it wouldn't do, it ended up doing. And lastly, there was just Britain all alone, knowing that they can't even stand for themselves. And Chamberlain was trying, trying to do anything in his power politically to get Hitler to stop, but he didn't understand the nature of the man. You cannot negotiate with evil. You can't talk it out of hate. Churchill understood the doctrine of appeasement was always destined to fail. And he began to stand up in confrontation. And, and the very day when England knew it was going to have to go to war with Germany and declared it is the day that Chamberlain stepped down and Churchill stepped into his spot and Churchill had a spirit of Elijah on him. The elite hated him, the political hated him, but the people loved him because he was honest with them. He told them the truth and he stood fearless in a fearful time. He was honest about the trials and tribulations they would have to go through, as I believe we will have to go through as well. But he told them if they stand up, if they rise up, if they come together, they can win, for God is on their side. The spirit that rose up on Churchill, it came to stand against the evil that rose up in Hitler. It was the spirit of Jezebel on him. Anti-Christ, anti-human spirit. But God had a man, a very unlikely man, a man that probably wouldn't even recognize God having him prepared for a time like this. But God had him set apart to be used, just like everyone in Scripture, just like David, just like Gideon, unlikely people that God loves to use. Churchill said this, an appeaser is one who feeds a crocodile hoping it will eat him last. There will come a time in your life where you will have to stand on convictions, and you cannot appease a spirit that hates you and hates your family and hates your future. That spirit is trying to come against the church. It's trying to come on the world right now. And we need some Churchills, we need some Elijahs, some people that know how to pray, that are unafraid to make their stand. Hear me, if your primary concern is your influence or your safety, when an antichrist spirit arises, make no mistake, you will lose both. Church, we must act. We must be who God called us to be. We must be fearless. Problem is, Christians think confrontation is unchristlike. Christians have bought into that lie. The lie that Jesus had no opinions, never confronted, never challenged wickedness in his day. We've bought into the lie that we should just be love. That love is God, but that's not true. God is love, but love is not God. We've bought into the lie that we should just be absolutely milk toast have very little to say, just be happy. We've lost our warrior nature. We've lost that holy rebellion. We've lost that little bit of thing in us that rises up and tells Jezebel, it's time. It's time to stop doing what you're doing, saying what you're saying, declaring what you're declaring. 
Christians think confrontation is unchristlike, and they're wrong. So many Christians conveniently forget the challenging nature of Jesus. When he told Satan, don't test me. I love that one. He tells Satan, hey, don't even test me. You want to go right now? Don't test me. Kicks him to the side. Forget the time where Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, dead inside. And he called them snakes. Jesus called a bunch of people snakes. If he was here today, he would have used the emoji. They forget the time where Jesus stood up, stood up for truth, stood up for what was right despite the culture. When he overturned the tables in the temple and he said, this is wrong, profiting on people coming to pray. And he restored prayer to his temple. You forgot the time where Jesus stands up and confronts nature itself, telling the storm, quiet down, be still. Jesus had a confronting nature. Understand the cross was not a defeat, not even for a moment. Sometimes we try and portray as if the enemy won when Jesus died on the cross. The enemy didn't win. That was his moment of defeat. Jesus told us that when he said, it is finished. That was a victorious statement. I came here and I completed the task I set out upon. It began in Genesis. It was finished on the cross. Jesus came to confront sin, hell, the grave, and bring redemption, liberty, and grace. Understand the nature of Jesus. That nature got on Stephen, where he stood up against all of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he preached the gospel. And they got so enraged by it that they literally began to close their ears and gnash their teeth and begin to curse him. And they took rocks and bashed his head in. And yet Stephen died willingly, openly, for the cross of Jesus Christ, unafraid and unashamed, and spoke the truth to the very end of the moment. The Bible says, it's one of my favorite moments in Scripture, that, G- that Stephen looks into heaven and he sees Jesus stand up. Because we see in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is seated on the right hand of the throne. And yet Stephen, when he took his stand on earth, it was so electric. It was so real. It was so overwhelming. It was so righteous that Jesus in heaven gave Stephen a standing ovation. I pray we'd have a church that causes Jesus to give us a standing ovation with our faith. That our fear would not dictate us. That our feelings would not be our guide, but our faith would determine who we are, how we act. That we would preach to the very last moment with passion, with fury, with love, with all that we've got. Don't forget the time where Peter stood up against the Jewish council of Jerusalem and denounced them saying, should I rather serve you or God? Should I fear you or should I fear God? Read it in Acts chapter 5 where he says, in the end, I'm not accountable to a city council. I'm accountable to Christ the King. I'm not afraid. Do what you must, but I have to to be true to who I am and what God's called me. And don't forget when Paul then calls Peter out. Peter had all his friends around. He acted one way. But when the Jewish people came, he became a hypocrite and he acted another way. And here the Apostle Paul stands up. And in the church, he calls out the hypocrisy of Peter. You might say, well, that might affect his influence later on. He might not be invited to a conference. Does he know? They might not, he might unfollow him on Twitter. But Paul says, I'm not accountable to you. I'm accountable to the truth. Jesus says, anyone, anyone that loses father or mother, brother or sister for my sake, I will reward them in heaven. Jesus understood that truth would always divide. 
Jesus understood. He said, I came to bring a sword because he understood that the truth would divide. But will you stand for it? There's a lie that's going on right now, even in the church, in the church world, which is that you should love your neighbor by not having church. Let me tell you, that's the worst thing you could do for your neighbor. It's the worst thing. For what good is it if you save a human body but you lose your soul? I don't fear the one that can destroy the body, but I fear the one that can destroy both the body and soul in hell. Loving our neighbor isn't doing nothing, saying nothing, being nothing. There comes a time where we have to stand out, set up, be set apart, and confront the culture. Otherwise, we will be com compromised with the culture. Jesus is a lamb, but he's also a lion. Jesus came riding on a donkey, but when he comes again, he comes on a war horse. That's why the psalmist says, you strengthen my hands for war. God, strengthen our church. Prepare our people. Call us to repentance, prayer, conviction again. In closing, I want to speak about the prophets. Prophets, the Elijahs, the Elishas, the men and women in our church and around the world. Prophets many times are hated because they call out what they see, not what is here. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence that we have of things that we do not yet see. The prophets call out what's coming, not what is, what should be, not what reality is just yet. And every time the prophets do that, when they stand for truth, they're hated for it. They're only celebrated afterwards. The Pharisees said to Jesus, we are the sons of Abraham. We're the sons of the prophets. Jesus said, you killed every single prophet that showed up. And now you're going to kill the son as well. The prophets are only ever celebrated in hindsight. God has given us prophets. He's given us prophets. But now I believe he's calling the church to be a prophet. Stand up as one body and confront the lies from hell, the misinformation, the demonic spirits of oppression that the enemy is trying to pour out on our nation. The darkness that does not come from the Lord. The pain that does not come from God. The vengeance and the murder that is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The hurt that is not God's plan. Church needs to stand and represent what the true fruit of the Spirit is, even if that makes us hated for a time. Truth bearers many times are hated. Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, because of me. Rejoice in that day. And leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how they treated the ancestors, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Hear me, church. If culture is in agreement with everything you believe and everything and say you say, you are most likely an Ahab. You have abdicated your convictions for expedience. You've chosen comfort over Christ-likeness. The world will hate the church.
Jesus said, if they would have accepted me, they'd accept you. But if they've persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. The world does not understand the church. The Bible says that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's a joke. They don't get it. They don't want to get it. But to us who are being saved, for those, those of us who are being redeemed, it's the everlasting, ever-living word of God. Elijah prays, and a drought, supernatural, comes on the nation. Why? Because God hated the nation? Because God hated Israel? No. The drought came because God wanted to create an opportunity that was uncomfortable so that they could repent. God wanted to show them physically it was time for them to change. Let me tell you, we are in a supernatural drought. We need revival. The world is an uncomfortable place. It's strange. And no one really quite knows what to do. And I am not standing here telling you what to do. And hear me, I'm not trying to condemn you either. But I am trying to challenge you, myself, us as a church. This is our opportunity to repent, to pray again, to seek God's face, to fast, to come together as un- in unity in the church as one people, to reject the ideology of the world, to deny their lies over us, and to listen for that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit that's calling us to himself. Church, This is our moment to rise, make our choice. Will we be Ahab's or will we be Elijah's? I believe God will use us over this next season to bring his people back to himself. On the other end of this, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. On the other side of this, I believe there's rain, the waters of revival. But we are going to have to pass through this test Pass through this fire. Stand for Jesus Christ, no matter the cost. And may God's name be honored and glorified from us. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.